Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is May 15th, and our chapter reading for today is Esther chapter 5. Esther has a plan. As we heard in the last podcast, Esther has now gone before King Ahasuerus, and he has granted her favor where she would not die because he had not called for her, and he had allowed her to come in. So we're going to pick up on the narrative. Now, it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. The third day from when? The third day from when she had made the decision to go before the king. And so the people had been praying. They had been fasting. And she put on her royal robes. In other words, she did the best she could to look the best she could as the queen, knowing that Vashti before her had displeased this man and had been deposed and had been exiled. But now the king was sitting in his inner court. Esther came as he sat on his throne in the royal house And it was that when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. This is the great providence of God once again exhibiting itself. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter. This is all that saved her because he was not ready for her. He was not expecting her. He had business that he was attending to for this great Persian kingdom. And now she went and she touched the top of his scepter, which was a sign that she had understood how favored she was. And the king said unto her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? In other words, what are you doing here? This must be urgent for you to risk coming in to me like this, because this was all protocol. This was all laid out, and everyone knew how important this was. And he made a gesture to her and said, ask what you want to up to half my kingdom. Now, that may have been an exaggeration, but what he was saying is, I'll I'll do whatever you want. Why don't you ask me? And so Esther wisely did not spring this on him. I believe it was because Esther was a woman of God. She was politically savvy, and so she needed to set the stage. She needed to allow the God of heaven to do his work. This shows great wisdom and insight that she had been groomed for this hour, that she had prayed and sought the will of God for three days. And as she fasted and prayed, God gave her insight. So she said, if it pleases the king, now you read this throughout the Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther material, and in the Persian Empire. This was a way of uh, politeness and respect and courtesy. If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman, because she knew what she was doing, come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. 
Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now, Esther had gone to a lot of trouble to get everything ready, and she had already prepared a banquet. She had already done everything. Don't you know she knew what the king liked? Don't you know she knew what he had as his favorite drink and food? She had everything there. And at the banquet of wine, this was a very well laid out plan, the king said to Esther, trying to get her to tell him, what is this all about? You see, she was building curiosity in this man. She was a woman par excellence. She knew exactly the way to his heart. And the king said, what's your petition? It'll be granted up to you. What's your request? I'll give you half the kingdom. Just tell me what it is. Now she had him where she really wanted him. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I found favor in the sight of the king, if it pleases the king to grant my petition, fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to a banquet which I will prepare for them tomorrow. This just has to do with wine, king. I have been, I really have something I want to talk to you about, but I want you to understand that I respect who you are, and I I want to make this request couched within a framework and a context. So if you would, would you come back tomorrow? I know you weren't prepared for all of this, but I want you to think about this because I've got something I really want to ask you to do for my heart. So the king uh, granted this request, of course, and Haman was there and he heard all of this and his pompous, arrogant spirit welled up inside of him. He couldn't wait to get home and tell his wife and all of his friends just how he had been courted by Queen Esther and how much she loved him and admired him. And so Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart. But there was a fly in the ointment. You see, as he passed by the front gate, he saw Mordecai and Mordecai did what he had always done. He didn't stand. He wasn't traumatized by him. He sat there as he went by. Don't you know they made some eye contact? And Haman restrained himself because he so hated, he raged in his heart. And he went home and he sent and he called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. What a woman she must have been. Then Haman told them of his great favor and riches and all that the king had done to advance him above all of the other people. And don't you know this was a sickening litany of just how favored he was. And he said, besides this, now this is is verse 12, besides this, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she's prepared tomorrow. And I'm again invited by her along with the king. But then he thought of Mordecai, yet all of this means nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew. Notice Mordecai the Jew, Jew hatred. He hates the Jewish people. He hates the very ground that they walk on. We don't know all the background of this, but we know the instigator of this. This is the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God himself. This is the way he always acts. He always comes after the Jewish people. 
And he always comes after the church of Jesus, the true church of Jesus, not the fake, not the sham, not the outward, but those who will not bow, they will not bend the knee, they will not worship any other but the true and the living God. And this infuriates the enemy, Satan, and all of his demons. Why? Because they can do nothing to God. God is the creator of all. He is almighty. But Satan can do what anyone would do if they could not get at the Father. Then they would try to hurt and damage and destroy the children, and this is what he does. And so the wife and the friends of Mordecai say to Mordecai, Let a gallows be made 75 feet high, 50 cubits. A cubit, a biblical cubit, is the measurement from a grown man's elbow to the tip of his longest finger. On average, it's 18 inches. I have measured mine, not only privately, but I have done it publicly so that people will see with a yardstick or a rule or a tape measure that this was the ancient measurement that a average man, you would have some a little longer, some a little shorter, but the average man from his elbow to the tip of his longest finger is 18 inches, and that is a standard cubit. There was a royal cubit that was three inches longer. That was the measurement that was used many times with the king's buildings and so forth. But in the Bible, unless it is specified a royal cubit of 21 inches, then it is a normal average length of a man's forearm. And so this would have been 50 cubits or 75 feet high. And it says that you need to suggest that this tall gallows, as the English translates the Hebrew, be the place where Mordecai would be hung. And so the thing pleased, this saying pleased Haman, so he made the gallows. Now, when you look in historical literature and during the last 2,000 years of the church and even in Jewish literature, yes, in Jewish literature, you will have this gallows and you will have a man hanging like hanging from the neck like in the Old West. That's not the case here. No, the Hebrew word here, eights or ats, is a word for a stake. That's right, a long pole, a pole that is 75 feet in length, and it is sharpened on the end. And what he's talking about hanging is not hanging by rope until you're dead by the neck, but rather being impaled as Sennacherib, the ruler of the Assyrians, 200 years before this time, introduced as a way of shaming his enemies. You see, it wasn't a hanging by the neck until you were dead and then leaving you there. No, they would sharpen a pole and they would, through the abdomen or from the rear backside of a man, they would sharpen a pole and they would ram him through And then they would stick the pole in the ground with the man impaled on it, and his body would be left there for days. And the reason was they wanted to shame someone because of this. Darius, 
who was the predecessor of Ahasuerus, impaled, according to ancient historians, impaled 3,000 Babylonians. Why? Because it was a deterrent. It was like what the Romans did with the cross of Jesus. It was a way of hanging them through a shameful public display as a deterrent to say, you go against the king, you go against Assyria, you go against Persia, you go against Rome, and this will happen to you. It was a deterrent to those who would rebel. It was a way of not only killing someone in a painful, tortuous, tormenting way, but it was a way of saying this person is of such ill repute and such a nothing in comparison to the great power of this kingdom that we will ram him through with a sharp pole and he will hang there helplessly. And many of the reliefs of ancient Assyria and Babylon will show these impaled people bent over with their stomach and abdomen impaled, with their chest impaled, with their chest cavity all the way up to the back of their head impaled. I know this is gross. I know this is horrible to describe, but you need to understand the cruelty of what was going to happen to Mordecai. And this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to not only kill Mordecai and the Jews, but he wanted to impel Mordecai and the Jews to show the great might of Haman and the Persians. And so the stage is set. And chapter 5 ends with this phrase, And so the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Little did he know that it was not going to be Mordecai that was hanging on the gallows, that was going to be impaled. But God had something else in mind. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.